Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. An Egypt Air flight from Paris to Cairo with 66 people aboard made wild swerves in the sky before crashing into the eastern Mediterranean Sea on Thursday, Greek and Egyptian officials say. There were no immediate signs of any survivors from Egypt Air Flight 804, whose passengers included two babies and a child. Egypt's aviation minister saying the possibility of a terror attack was stronger than technical failure. Uh, If you analyse the situation properly, the possibility of having a different action or uh, having a terror attack is higher. Greek officials say the Egypt Air flight made abrupt turns, suddenly losing altitude just before vanishing from radar shortly after entering Cairo's airspace. White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest says the president is being continually updated about the crash. The investigation is underway. Well, welcome, everybody. Obviously, I'm not Tom Brown. This is Al Fadi, and I am uh, going to be uh, the host for today's show's uh, show filling in for Tom Brown. So I'd like to welcome you to Koinonia uh, uh, Radio uh, on 1360 KPXQ. Um, the uh, intro video uh, that you just heard uh, obviously deals with a, a recent incident that happened just about a day ago, which is the um, disappearance of uh, an Egyptian airliner, um, uh, Flight 804. And all indications so far uh, lean heavily towards a terror attack. And obviously, the first thing that comes to our mind is usually ISIS who have done similar thing in the past, especially in Egypt, when they downed also the Russian airliner in the Sinai Peninsula. And many of the aviation experts, uh, when they describe basically what the radar uh, data is showing related to the maneuvers and the moves that the airline uh, was doing before it disappears from the radar, it all indicates that something terrible uh, caused this crash. It's possible something that might have tampered with the structure of the airplane, maybe losing an engine, uh, maybe losing a wing, maybe losing the tail. Uh, But obviously, if these things uh, uh, would indeed um, uh, be evidenced by anything that will be discovered later, especially the black boxes, then um, this can lead to uh, something intentional that was done to cause such a damage, unless maintenance of this particular airline uh, airplane was sloppy. But however, I can assure you, as an avid uh, flyer myself and traveler, um, you know, it takes a lot to really for the maintenance records to uh, uh, ignore major issues like this. So with that in mind, today we are going obviously to revisit the issue of ISIS, the Islamic Caliphate, and the reason why they're causing these kind of uh, acts and, uh, uh, you know, that create uh, terror and fear and chaos, uh, not necessarily just in the ISIS-controlled area anymore. It is global. I mean, it's, every, it's impacted everybody, impacted the United States, impacted Canada, impacted Europe in general, impacted Russia impacted the Middle East, impacting right now North Africa. So uh, simply put, this is basically a war on everybody. 
So I would like for us to take a journey today along with some video clips related to the teaching of Islam on the concept of the caliphate or the Islamic State. Um, we are approaching a uh, quick break, and when we come back, we will pick it up from here. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown, and uh, this is Koinonia Radio on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And today we are going to talk yet again about a topic that is becoming uh, too familiar to us, and that's ISIS, ISIL, or the Islamic State. You can call it whatever you want. And basically, we are going to revisit once again the topic about the Islamic Caliphate or the Islamic States. Is it Islamic and why? Do they do what they do in terms of terror attacks? Uh, Recently, we have dealt with the uh, Paris attack. And before that, uh, we have the attacks that took place uh, also in Canada and a couple of attacks recently that happened also in the United States. All of this uh, leads one to ask this simple question. If all these attacks are not Islamic, then it is absolutely a unique phenomena that all those who commit these terrors are Muslims. I mean, it absolutely demands a PhD study, actually, to discover this phenomena and what is going on with it. If, indeed, the behavior and the action is not Islamic, in other words, not supported by the primary sources of Islam. Now, let me be clear. We're not talking about all Muslims think this way. I get it. I am a former Muslim myself. My family is peaceful. Nevertheless, I'm talking about the sources that educate us as Muslims. Does it actually promote, does it propagate for such actions? Before I do this, I would like for you to listen to this short clip by President Obama, clip number zero. Your entire community so often is targeted or blamed for the violent acts of the very few. People conflating the horrific acts of terrorism with the beliefs of an entire faith. For more than a thousand years, people have been drawn to Islam's message of peace. The standard greeting is, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Whoever wants to enter paradise, the Prophet Muhammad taught, let him treat people the way he would love to be treated. Muslim Americans enrich our lives today in every way. There are neighbors, the teachers who inspire our children, the doctors who trust us with our health. There's scientists who win Nobel Prizes, young entrepreneurs who are creating new technologies that we use all the time. They're the sports heroes we cheer for, like Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And by the way, when Team USA marches into the next Olympics, one of the Americans waving the red, white, and blue will be a fencing champion wearing her hijab. Itihad 
Muhammad, who is here today. Stand up. Come on, let me... There we go. Muslim Americans, keep us safe. There are police and our firefighters. They're in Homeland Security, in our intelligence community. The overwhelming majority of the world's Muslims embrace Islam as a source of peace. It is undeniable that a, a small fraction of Muslims propagate a perverted interpretation of Islam. They're not the first extremists in history to misuse God's name. We've seen it before across faiths. This is the truth. We have to understand, an attack on one faith is an attack on all our faiths. The first word revealed in the Quran, Ikra, means read, to seek knowledge, to question assumptions. If we expect our own dignity to be respected, so must we respect the dignity of others. Well, um, you've heard it. Uh, the president obviously is, um, and I commend him uh, for um, making the statement that Muslims, the majority of Muslims are peaceful people. No one is going to argue this. No one is going to debate this. So my, my beef here is really not about the people, because like I said, my family, my relatives are still Muslim. But my issue is with the teaching. The president said that it's um, undeniable that is a small, basically, faction of Muslims are propagating the misuse of Islamic teaching. And then he proceeded to uh, quote the very first verse that was ever revealed in the Quran in chapter 96 of the Quran, verse 1, where it says, read, Iqra in Arabic. Well, Mr. President, I'm going to read right now a number of those passages that are found in the Quran that teach those basically who follow it to the letter what they ought to do to terrorize others. For instance... Chapter 2, verse 191 of the Quran says this, And kill them wherever you find them. I'm not really so sure which part of kill them wasn't clear in this verse. Let's go to another one. Chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 244. Then fight in the, in the cause of Allah and know that Allah hears and knows all things. Please help me understand, and I speak to my Muslim people who are listening to this. Help me please understand which part of this command or this declaration in this passage, chapter 2, verse 244, wasn't clear about the fact that this fighting is done in the cause of God. Isn't that what ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab or Boko Haram are promoting, that they are fighting for God, in the cause of God, to restore the original form of Islam. Isn't that what's going on? What about chapter 2, verse 216? Fighting is prescribed for you. Did you catch this? Fighting is prescribed for you. Which part of this causes a small faction to misuse and propagate, basically, and mislead the teaching that I found in the Quran. I mean, which part of this is not clear to this small faction when it says fighting is prescribed for you? And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because if indeed terror was behind the downing of the Egyptian 
basically uh, airliner, uh, flight 804, which I'm not doubting that the, it's a high probability that it is in order for ISIS basically to, um, uh, you know, f- uh, you know uh, fight back against the Egyptian government who has been really cracking down on their affiliates in the Sinai Peninsula, cracking down on uh, France because the flight originated from Paris, because France had been also cracking down heavily on them after the Paris attack, cracking down on the international community who is already uh, trying to fight them in Libya. If terror indeed and ISIS in particular, is behind this, then one must wonder, why are they doing what they're doing if what the president is saying is true, that only a small faction is misusing what the Quran is saying, yet the Quran so far in these verses that I just read is very clear, crystal clear, that there are commands to fight. And this is really what's so troubling to me, is the fact that, At our highest level of authority in the nation, we're either oblivious to these facts or we are trying just to look the other way. No one is saying we ought to really treat all Muslims the same. No one is promoting this. I am not even hinting to such a thing. But we ought to really dig to the bottom of the source that teach terrorists to do the things that they're doing. And that will be something that we ought to cooperate with our Muslim neighbors and Muslim communities to work with us to tell us if indeed these commands are not commands that are applicable for today. They're only historical. They are only taken out of context, as we hear sometimes, that they're being hijacked. Then who is it in the Muslim community that is actually propagating these teachings to counter what ISIS is teaching out of those passages. I don't see this. I don't hear this. I'm not really uh, watching the news daily and seeing there is a lot of peaceful Muslims out there, and rightfully so, they are standing united against this. Keep in mind that the majority of Muslims are the ones who are not committing these terror acts. It's only a minority, and that's true. Probably 5% maybe of the Muslim population in the world that even feels that they should do something like that. And how come the majority is silent about this? This is why it's problematic. This is why that it is a, an internal problem within the Muslim community that ought to really be fixed by Muslim leaders. But I know why it cannot be fixed. Remember, I'm a former Muslim. I grew up in Saudi, the heartland of of Islam. I studied all these passages because in order for a Muslim community to fight back against ISIS interpretation, they are literally denying what the Quran is teaching. No Islamic leader, no Muslim religious leader in the world will ever stand publicly and say what the Quran is saying here is not really what ISIS is interpreting. If that's the case, they know fully well that they have exposed themselves now and their identity, and they are leaving themselves open now for terrorists to go after them. This is why they're silent. This is why they're always not being vocal. And that's where the problem is. There is a lot of Muslim people out there that are questioning what's happening. And my job here uh, in the media is to try to help them see for themselves that what ISIS is doing actually is coming from the pages 
of Islam, the pages of the Quran that is considered to be the word of Allah. Now, I want to also talk a little bit about the Islamic Caliphate. In 1999, a debate took place between a friend of ours. His name is Jay Smith, whom, by the way, I had on one of my shows talking about the Birmingham folio related to the Quran and the recent discoveries of the uh, Quranic folios. Jay Smith debated a Muslim clerk. His name is Sheikh Omar Bakri Muhammad. He was asked, Omar Bakri was asked, why does the world needs an Islamic caliphate or Islamic state? This is his answer. This is a summary of it. He says, when we have an Islamic state, then women would have to cover up. And he cited chapter 33, verse 59 of the Quran. And if women refused, he says, they would be whipped, basically, publicly flogged. And he cited, basically, or even by their husband, at least, because he cited the rights of a man to how to treat his wife. Well, we're approaching a break. When we come back, we will continue our discussion about the Islamic Caliphate, and we will continue to listen to other also video clips to support the argument that we're trying to make here that the Islamic State, call it ISIS or ISIL, is Islamic in every way possible. Until we come back, I'm your host, Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in here today for Tom Brown. And we are talking about the topic of the Islamic State or the Islamic Caliphate and is it Islamic? And uh, I began the show basically by, uh, uh, you know, playing a quick, basically, a news break on the downing of the uh, Egyptian airline, Flight 804, that took place yesterday which many experts uh, are leaning towards a terror act that would have caused this. And the argument I'm trying to raise today is that is the action or the actions, plural, are the actions, I should say, of the Islamic State Islamic? And we played a clip also showing that the president, President Obama, basically uh, was speaking in one of those uh, conferences um, uh, to Muslim communities, stating that uh, really what uh, uh, ISIS is doing or the terrorists are doing is not Islamic. It's just a, f- a small faction of Muslims who are propagating misuse of the Islamic teachings in his words. But yet, when I read few verses from the Quran, it shows clearly that the Quran, the word of God, the word of Allah, actually promote violence and promote the killing of the infidels. Well, I want you to listen to another clip right now from uh, the president as well, speaking about ISIL in particular. Now, let's make two things clear. ISIL is not Islamic. No religion condones the killing of innocents, and the vast majority of ISIL's victims have been Muslim. And ISIL is certainly not a state. It was formerly al-Qaeda's affiliate in Iraq and has taken advantage of sectarian strife and serious civil war 
to gain territory on both sides of the Iraq-Syrian border. It is recognized by no government nor by the people it subjugates. ISIL is a terrorist organization, pure and simple, and it has no vision other than the slaughter of all who stand in its way. So you've heard this. The president insists that ISIL, the Islamic State of the Iraq and the Levant, uh, that's the acronym ISIL, um, is not Islamic and it's not even a state. It's a bunch of terrorists, basically, that somehow declared themselves to be an Islamic state. But here's the problem. Based on what our president is saying this, is it based on facts that are supported in the pages of Islamic history or based on political correctness or is it based on feelings and emotions or is it based on reinterpretation? For that purpose, I want you now to listen to kind of a long clip, might be taking about eight minutes or so, maybe not all of it, but if necessary, it might take that long. Uh, a former Muslim, a dear brother, his name is Brother Rashid, former Muslim from Morocco, who actually, in response to statements like this by the president, uh, made this short video in English, spoken English, directly to our president about ISIS. Let's listen to it. Dear Mr. President, with all due respect, sir, I must tell you that you are wrong about ISIL. You said ISIL speaks for no religion. I'm a former Muslim. My dad is an imam. I spent more than 20 years studying Islam. I hold a bachelor degree in religious studies, and I'm in the middle of my master's degree in terrorism studies. I can tell you with confidence that ISIL speaks for Islam. Allow me to correct you, Mr. President. ISIL is a Muslim organization. Its name stands for Islamic State. So even the name suggests that it is an Islamic movement. Their leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, holds a PhD in Islamic studies. I doubt you know Islam better than he does. He was a preacher and a religious leader in one of the local mosques in Baghdad. ISIL's 10,000 members are all Muslims. None of them are from any other religion. They come from different countries and have one common denominator, Islam. They are following Islam's prophet Muhammad in every detail. They imitate him by growing their beards, shaving their mustaches, and in the way they dress. They follow his command in the hadith to differentiate themselves from the infidels by wearing, by wearing their watches on the right instead of the left hand. They implement Sharia in every piece of land they conquer. They pray five times a day. They have called for a caliphate, which is a central doctrine in Sunni Islam, and they are willing to die for their religion. They are following the steps of Islam's prophet Muhammad to the letter. By the way, if you want to understand ISIL, read the oldest biography of Muhammad by Ibn Hisham. This is their model for action. You think that ISIL does not speak for Islam because they beheaded an American and they killed those whom they consider infidels. In the same way, 
Islam's prophet Muhammad beheaded in one day between 600 and 900 adult males in a Jewish tribe called Banu Quraiza. In fact, beheading is commanded in the Quran in Surah 47, the fourth verse. It says, when you meet the unbelievers and fight, smite at their necks. Ironically, this surah is called the surah of Muhammad. Killing prisoners is also an order from Allah to Muhammad and to all Muslims. It says it is not for a prophet to have captives of war until he inflicts a massacre upon Allah's enemies in the land. Quran 8:67. And by the way, three of Muhammad's wives were Jewish girls he kidnapped from his raids on the religious minorities, just as ISIL is doing today. Mr. President, I grew up in Morocco, supposedly a moderate country, yet I still learned at a young age to hate the enemies of Allah, especially Jews and Christians. These are represented today by Israel and the West, especially the great Satan, America. I prayed five times a day, repeating Al-Fatiha, the first chapter in the Quran, asking Allah to lead me not in the way of those who went astray and those who have the wrath of Allah upon them. We all knew that it is Jews and Christians. We have been brainwashed to hate all of you in our sacred texts, in our prayers, in our Friday sermons, in our educational systems. We were ready to join any group that one day would fight you and destroy you and make Islam the religion of the whole world, as the Quran says. This is what I and millions like me have been taught. Mr. President, this is an irrevocable fact. Fortunately, when I grow up, I choose to leave Islam and became a Christian because I believe that God is love. Others also left and still every day they are leaving Islam and choosing different paths for their lives. All of them are suffering today because again, Islam's prophet Muhammad said, whoever changes his religion, kill him. I left Morocco under persecution. I was fortunate. Others throughout the Muslim world do not have the same opportunity. They are paying a heavy price in different ways in order to get their freedom one day. I ask you, Mr. President, to stop being politically correct, to call things by their names. ISIL, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab in Somalia, the Taliban, and their sister brand names are all made in Islam. Unless the Muslim world deals with Islam and separates religion from state, we will never end this cycle. Until you deal with the root of the problem, we'll be just dealing with the symptoms. ISIL is just one symptom. If it disappears, other ISILs will be born under different names. You might ask, then why does ISIL kill other Muslims? The answer is that they consider them infidels, not Muslims. Do you know that all four schools in Islam agree that if a Muslim stops praying, he should be asked to repent, and if he does not, he should be killed? Do you know that Muhammad tried to burn his own companions when they stopped coming to prayers? 
So anything that qualifies a Muslim to be an infidel can be a reason for killing him, even neglecting to pray. If Islam is not the problem, then why is it that there are millions of Christians in Middle East and yet none of them has ever blown up himself to become a martyr? Even though they live under the same economic and political circumstances and even worse. Why have many Muslims in the West also joined ISIL if Islam is not the reason? Why have even new converts to Islam become terrorists? Mr. President, if you really want to fight terrorism, then fight it at the root. How many Saudi sheikhs are preaching hatred? How many Islamic channels are indoctrinating people and teaching them violence from the Quran and the Hadith? How many Friday sermons are made against the West, freedom and democracy? How many Islamic schools are producing generations of teachers and students who believe in jihad and martyrdom and fighting the infidels? And finally, how many websites are funded by governments, your allies, that have sheikhs or issue fatwas against basic human rights? If you want to fight terrorism, start from there. By the way, I do not give my full name because Islam is a religion of peace. I'm known around the whole world as Brother Rashid, and I implore you to take a stand for international human rights and the future of democracy and speak the truth about the real threat that is facing all of us. Best regards, Brother Rashid. If you're joining us, this is Koinonia Radio on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And we were listening to a message by Brother Rashid, a former Muslim from Morocco, a dear brother, who basically was sharing with the president, our president, that he's wrong about not calling ISIS what it is, meaning that it is Islamic. When we come back, we will continue the discussion whether ISIS is Islamic or not. Welcome back to Coin and Neo on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And today we've been talking about whether the Islamic State is Islamic. In other words, uh, do we have any supporting evidence from the pages of Islam, the Quran, the teaching of the Prophet that supports the fact that what Islamic State is doing is actually along the line of what Islam promoted all along for the last 14 centuries? And we, before the break, we uh, had uh, basically a clip that we listened to uh, that was done by a former Muslim from Morocco, a dear brother. His name is Brother Rashid, who has a, a very uh, basically popular TV show that airs in the Middle East uh, and all over the world for that matter. And uh, he was basically challenging our president that 
when he, the president, would say that ISIS is not Islamic or ISIL is not Islamic, he's really avoiding the fact that every single thing that ISIS does, every action, every terror action, every violent action they do, every decision they make is Islamic to its core. With that in mind, I want to just, we have a couple more clips we're going to listen to, but before that, I want to say, okay, so the uh, ISIS goal is to establish an Islamic caliphate, which is an Islamic state. Now, their goal is to establish something like this that will cover the globe, not just in a small territorial area. In fact, one of ISIS's mottos is that we don't have a, uh, a uh, basically borders, we have front lines. The very first Islamic State right after the Prophet's time. The Prophet's time basically set the stage for that. He has the prototype for Islamic State when he established the original one in the year 623 until his death in the year 632. Right after him came the very first basically Islamic State known as the Rashidun period or they call it also the rightly guided caliphs. Okay? And it was immediately following the time of the Prophet of Islam. So let's see, for instance, where do we get our sources about that period? We get our sources from biographies that were written, amazingly, 200 to 300 years after the fact. So even the sources are trying to tell you that Islam established this wonderful Islamic state known as the Caliphate. The closest eyewitness account to it that tries to report it to us wasn't even around And it was written 200 to 300 years later. Example like the Sirah or the biography of Ibn Ishaq in the year 765 AD. Most of it was lost. His student, Ibn Hisham, rewrote and added to it in the year 833. The prophet died in 632. You notice the difference now? And then you get Al-Waqidi who actually wrote a biography called Al-Maghazi, meaning the battles of the prophet. I mean, that right there, if we have a biography that documented the wars and the battles of the prophet where is peace please help me it was written in the year 837 a.d then you get al-bukhari who basically collected for the first time all of the sayings of the prophet in the year 870 a.d all of the sayings of the prophet that are known to him that were transmitted by memory and orally from 600 and, you know, the prophet lived from as a prophet from 610 until 632. For 23 years, he was a prophet. So let's say from the beginning of his prophethood in 610, he collected all of that in the year 870, 250 years or 60 years later. Then you get Al-Tabari, the first documented commentary and also biography uh, and uh, uh, historical teachings, uh, uh, documentations about Islam. That's near 923 A.D., 200 to 300 years later. Now, what about that's the first, technically, Islamic state. So let's look at the last Islamic state. Which one was the last Islamic state? That was the Ottoman Empire that ended in the year 1924 at the fall of the Ottoman Empire, basically, that was caused by World War I. So, if we were to look at the way the Ottoman Empire basically imposed Islamic law on its own subjects, was it really a period of peace? Let's look. What does history say? Between 1300 and 1700, Christian boys were kidnapped, forced to convert, drafted for life. It's known as the Janissary Corps. The massacres in 1847, 
decimated 30,000 Assyrian Christians. In 1860, slaughtered 28,900 28, Lebanese and Syrian Christians. In 1876, butchered 12,000 Bulgarian Christians. Between 1894 until 1896, wiped out over 300,000 Armenian and Assyrian Christians. Okay? In 1915, while being deported, one and a half million Armenian and 250,000 Assyrian Christians died. Magically just died. Women were raped, crucified. Pictures even prove it. Men beheaded. 200,000 who converted were just spared. And churches made into barns to store animals and things like that. That's love and peace right there. There you go. In fact, pictures would show that women were actually being crucified. Why crucified? To mimic the crucifixion of Christ. Is that a religion of peace that respects and tolerates other religions? So this is what we're dealing with, by the way. In fact, um, I encourage you, if you're listening to this uh, and you're joining us right now, you're listening to Koinonia Radio uh, on uh, Faith Talk 1360 uh, KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, uh, filling in for Tom Brown. I encourage you to listen to my own show on the weekends, usually. It's called Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim Dialogue with Al Fadi, because I'll be talking specifically about the Islamic Caliphate, and I will spend probably a number of weeks, uh, maybe uh, anywhere from four to six weeks, talking about uh, these things that I just shared with you. Let's uh, uh, go back to clips right now. What is the Islamic Caliphate's goal is? Let's listen to a portion of this clip, clip number three. Eric, you've been warning of something called a new Islamic caliphate. What is that, and why do you believe it's closer to becoming a reality? This is a term that every one of our viewers need to know because they're going to be hearing it more and more in the months to come. What the Islamic caliphate is, is basically, Charlie, a union, if you can imagine it, of every Islamic nation into one all-powerful military, economic, political force now, there's some 57 Islamic nations in the world, so you can imagine how strong the so-called caliphate would be. The last time we saw it was in 1924. It was disbanded back then. The Turkish Ottoman Empire led the last caliphate. The army of the Khilafah was undefeatable. They could not understand the Crusaders when they go to fight the Khilafah. Even the Christians who live in the Khilafah are fighting the Crusaders. They cannot understand this. Well, this is just a portion of a clip where it shows basically the goals of the Islamic State, and that's to defeat the infidels and expand basically the territories of Islam. And citing, uh, of course, in this clip was the Ottoman Empire. This is why we have movements, again, like Al-Qaeda and others, because they want to reestablish that lost Caliphate. Does Islam basically teach peace? That's the crux of the question. And for that, I want you to listen to clip number four, a testimony by a former Muslim. His name is Nabil Qureshi. Many of you know him. He's the author of uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. There are people like my sect of Islam which taught us that Islam is a religion of peace. The slogan of our sect of Islam was love for all, hatred for none. So we were taught to love everyone, and that Islam truly was a religion of peace. So I, when I told people Islam is a religion of peace, when I saw 9-11 happen, and those buildings getting knocked down, my response was, how could this happen in the name of my faith? Literally, who hijacked my faith and those planes to make Islam look violent? 
It was at that time that I started investigating this matter deeply because I started conversing with friends and they would say things like, well, you've got verses in the Quran that are rather violent. For example, chapter nine, verse five. Lay siege to the infidels, take them captive and kill them wherever you find them. That's kind of violent. I'd say, yeah, but that was in a context of a war where the Muslims were trying to defend themselves. And so that wasn't a violent verse. That was a verse about defense, and that was the context. But was it? As I started investigating, I truly did believe that the context was all defensive battles in the Quran. But the more I investigated, the more I realized that was simply not the case. Chapter 9, verse 5 So chapter 9 is the most violent chapter of the Quran. It's Surat At-Tawbah. And this is the very same chapter which says, fight the Jews and Christians until they pay the jizya and feel humiliated. Just chapter 9, verse 29. This is the same chapter in uh, chapter 9, verse 111. And I think this is one of the scariest verses of the Quran. Chapter 9, verse 111 says, the reason Allah has bought your person and your property is this, so you may slay in battle and be slain. In other words, you're a Muslim, so you can kill and die in battle. And so I had to contextualize that. Somehow I had to say, this cannot be what Muslims are told to do. But as I studied the history of early Islam, I found out that actually chapter 9 of the Quran is the last major chapter to have been revealed. In other words, right before Muhammad dies, it's as if he calls people to his deathbed and says, I've got some more instructions to give you. That's just a metaphorical language I'm using, but it's like, this is the last message I want to leave with you. Chapter 9 of the Quran. The most violent one there is. When we consider the Bible, and people will say, well, what, what ISIS is doing, didn't Obama say something like this recently? What ISIS is doing is no better or no worse than the Crusades. It's no better or no worse than what happened in Christian history. I say, no, 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 no. You, you got to keep things in their appropriate context. In the Bible, the violence did happen. We cannot sidestep it. And, and you didn't ask this question, so if someone else wants to ask it, that's fine. But there was violence in the Old Testament, and there was, there's specific circumstances and things that we should talk about with that, so someone please ask. But it did not end up that way. That wasn't the final marching order of God. What we were left with was turn the other cheek. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. So this is a testimony, basically, from a former Muslim, so that you can hear it from others. Today, I want you to hear from others, not just myself. He's telling you he grew up as an Ahmadiyya Muslim, which is really the most peaceful branch of Islam. Even they are persecuted by other Muslims in Pakistan. He discovered later that all of this teaching that those passages about jihad are taken out of context, that they represent defensive commands. All of it basically is not true. uh, Recently, he wrote another book, by the way. It's called Answering Jihad, if you're interested in knowing more about his opinion related to what Islam teaches. And uh, if you're joining us, uh, this is Koinonia Radio uh, on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown, and we will be back in just a few minutes.
Welcome back to Konania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And we've been talking today about whether the Islamic State, also known as ISIL or ISIS, if everything they do is Islamic or not. And we really relied on a number of sources, uh, including clips from former Muslims who actually spoke to the topic and uh, indicated that, indeed, what our government and our president is saying is one thing, what the reality of Islam and its teachings is another. I've been saying this all along as a former Muslim myself, but I like to always give you other eyewitness accounts so that uh, what you're hearing from me is not being biased at all. Well, um, I would like to invite you uh, as the host of another show that airs in the weekends called Let Us Reason, uh, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi, to join me starting this weekend, uh, I'm sorry, uh, next weekend, and uh, begin to uh, follow me uh, to listen to uh, the detailed information I'll be sharing along with clips and everything else related to whether the caliphate or the Islamic State is Islamic and what is its goal, what are the different models uh, that we can uh, base it on and the history of Islam based on this caliphate. And uh, is it really a perfect model to reestablish once again? And who else in the world today, in the Muslim world, is doing it? And what are the stats related to the freedom of religion and human rights and everything else in those particular countries? Now, um, I want to thank you for listening to Coin on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Uh, really, I've had a great time here uh, to be the guest host uh, for today's show, filling in for my brother here, Tom Brown. And if you want to reach me, you can always email me at Sira Ministries. It's plural, Sira, C-I-R-A, Ministries, plural, Sira Ministries at gmail.com. I am Al Fadi, the host of Let Us Reason, uh, a Christian Muslim dialogue uh, with Al Fadi on KPXQ 1360. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. <music>